This morning I want to talk to you on the subject kingdom conservation. Kingdom conservation. Open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs chapter 21. One verse, verse 20. Proverbs 21, 20. When you get there, say amen. If you don't have your Bible, don't trip. We will put it on the screen. Trip not, saith the Lord. Proverbs 21.20, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. There are two kinds of people in this room right now. There are wise men. Now, if I take one of these and I throw it out, it's not going to start any fights. It's not going to start a riot. If you walk down the street and one of these is in the mud, you may not even pull it out because you'll spend more on soap and water to get the mud off of it than it's worth. But what if you save a hundred of these? You know what a hundred dollar bill is? It's a hundred of these. You know what a thousand dollars is? It's a thousand of these. You know what a million dollars is? It's a million of these. You see, as far as money is concerned, you can never transcend the dollar. A million is still a million dollars. The point I'm making is that greatness is nothing more than the accumulation of small things. Significance is nothing more than the accumulation of seemingly insignificant things. It's the wise person that has stores of choice food and oil. He's got stores of good things. Stores. Storehouses. But the fool looks at the little he has and says, it's insignificant. I might as well devour it all. The wise man stores up. The fool devours all he has. I want to talk to you this morning about kingdom conservationism. God is looking for individuals who will learn how to conserve seemingly insignificant things and conserve them faithfully, conserve them diligently, and with discipline. Now, typically, when we conserve things, we conserve them for the purpose of devouring them later. You say, I'm going to save this. Why? Because down the road, I'm going to devour it. (laughs) You say, one pound. You ever stepped on the scale and you lost one pound? (laughs) Yeah, never, right? One pound. It's insignificant, right? It's just a pound. You don't look any different. You don't feel any different. Nobody notices any change. I mean, you never lost one pound and everybody said, man, you look great. What have you been doing? Just one pound. People might even think you gained weight. They haven't seen you in a while. But if you lose one of those every week, you lost 52 of them in a year. 
you look drastically different after losing 52 pounds. Conservationism. Now, some of us lose a pound every week, but then gain it back before the week is over. It's not just about consistently losing a pound of week a week, but it's about maintaining that pound and adding another one to it. Conservationism requires faithfulness and it requires discipline. You can save $10,000 and then run up 10000 on your credit card the next week. You can work out for two hours in the gym and then go eat at McDonald's. Conservation requires discipline. It's not only about obtaining something. It's not only about storing something away, but it's about keeping it stored away, keeping it maintained. It requires discipline or else you enter back into the category of the fool. And here's the key. Many believers subscribe to the Big Bang Theory. You're waiting for a Big Bang. Why don't you save money? Oh, because the Lord takes care of me. The Lord, he's my provider. So I don't have to save. You have a retirement? No, no, no. I don't need no retirement. I got Jesus. I got the Holy Ghost. The Lord takes care. And you, you just think there's going to be a big bang. I talk to songwriters who say, I'm going to write the best-selling song. My song is going to be number one on the charts in America, in the world. But you haven't written a single song before. Not one. You haven't written any songs, but tomorrow you're going to write one that's going to change the world. Say, I'm going to write a bestseller. The Lord told me my book is going to be a bestseller and it's going to change the world. But you haven't even written an essay. You don't even have a blog. You can't even say anything that anybody wants to hear on your Facebook page. But the world is going to be changed by your book. All of a sudden, there's going to be a big bang. No, I've got faith for it. I'm believing that there's just going to be a big bang and something's going to happen. You don't have five Facebook friends, but the Lord said tomorrow you're going to be famous. <laughs> Look at this. Genesis chapter 41. Remember, Joseph was in prison. He was there two years. He spoke over the butler and the baker. Now, watch this. Seemingly insignificant, right? Two guys in prison have dreams, and Joseph was in the spirit and ready to interpret the dreams of these two individuals. Listen, make no mistake. The person you minister to in the, in the most seemingly insignificant place can be a person of great significance. He had no idea that one of the guys he was ministering to was getting ready to stand right next to the king. Two years go by after the, the butler was restored to his place. Pharaoh has a dream and he's troubled by it. And none of his wise men can interpret it for him. And the butler says, wait, 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 wait. I know a guy who can interpret dreams. His name's Joseph. Well, where is he? In prison. Pharaoh says, well, go get him out of prison. They pull him out of prison, they shave his head, they dress him in new clothes, and they bring him before Pharaoh. He stands before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, I heard you can interpret dreams. He said, I try. Pharaoh said, well, try this one out. He said, I had a dream that there were five fat cows and there were five lean cows. And suddenly, the, I mean, seven fat cows and seven lean cows. And suddenly the seven lean cows ate up the fat cows. What does it mean? 
He says, let me tell you what it means, Pharaoh. It means the seven fat cows means that there's going to be seven years of abundance. Translation, the economy is about to go through the roof. The unemployment rate is about to plummet. plummet. The gross national product is about to skyrocket. There is about to be abundance. Now, if you say that in America, everybody at the same time starts borrowing money. I mean, a booming economy means that you can borrow more. See, we don't have a concept of conservatism in America. We have a concept of greed. When the economy is good, it means you can actually borrow enough money to spend more than you make. Not only do we not conserve, we actually devour everything in our house and then go to the bank and borrow more money so we can devour more. We buy clothes that we can't afford with money that we don't have. There are people that take mortgages out of their house to buy cars. A car that you're going to drive for five years, but you'll be paying for it for the next 30. Long-term debt for a short-term gain. Can I talk to you about money today? Is that okay? Because Let me tell you why money is important. Because what you do with your money is a sign of your view of life. And what you do with your money is going to translate into spiritual things as well. It has spiritual significance. We do not have a concept of conservatism. We have a concept of consumption. We are consumers, not con conservationists. And God is looking for kingdom conservationists that He can bless with end-time harvest. Follow me. Joseph says to Pharaoh, before you get excited about these seven years of abundance and start going buying, in new, buying new wardrobes and new cars, let me tell you the strategy, because right after the seven years of abundance are coming seven years of famine, and if you do not make provision during the seven years of plenty, the seven years of famine are going to eat up the seven years of abundance and there will be nothing left. You'll be in a recession. So, so what do we do? Look at this. Genesis chapter 41, beginning at verse 33. Joseph says, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man. God is looking for discerning and wise men and women. Discerning and wise men and women that he can give authority over the granaries. What does it mean to be discerning? To be discerning means that you see things clearly. It means that you're sober-minded and that you assess things accurately. It means that you are not tossed to and fro by your emotions, by your desires, and by every whim and every desire that you have. It means that you see things clearly. He said, you need a discerning man, Pharaoh. You can't just put anybody there because a non-discerning man is going to be elated by the abundance that's coming. And he's going to be so elated that he's going to think, let's have parties. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. And you need a wise man. Wisdom is the ability to know what to do. And specifically, wisdom is the ability to locate folly and stay clear of it. Wisdom discerns that which is foolish and says, I'm not doing that. That's the way of the fool. Yeah. Let Pharaoh find, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest. He said, here's the strategy, Pharaoh. There's about to be abundance, but what we're going to do is take 20% of it and save it. 
Put it in storehouses. During the seven years of abundance, they should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Verse 48, Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. His grain, and this is his savings. This is not his checking account. This is his savings account. This is his money market account. This is a certificate of deposit, his 401k, whatever you want to call it, it was on lock. It wasn't an option to use it if things went wrong in the middle of the month. What he had on lock was like sand. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. He said, you know what, stop, stop counting. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting lost, <laughs> you know. You know what, if you know how, here's, here's how to measure wealth. If you know how much money you have, you ain't wealthy. If you ask me how much money I have, I can tell you. How many dollars do you have? I got both of them in my pocket. I know my balance in my checking account, and I know my balance in all three of my savings accounts. I can tell you to the penny what I have. Why? Because if I don't know, I will be in the negative within 24 hours. I guarantee it. Can we go to the gas station? Let me check. <laughs> oh, thank God. Yes, we can get some gas. But that's it. Just gas. <laughs> and only put $7 in the tank because we ain't going that far. <laughs> I talked to somebody one time. He said, you know what? I don't even know how much money I have. I said, dang. He said, I don't even know. How much grain do you have, Joseph? I don't even know. I don't even know. We got a lot. We got enough. I mean, we got we got grain coming out the wazoo. Okay, we got grain coming out our ears. We got grain. We got grain like a mug. We got grain. You know, we got so much grain. I can swim in grain. And he put storehouses of grain in every city. Sounds like hoarding. Sounds like greed. Sounds like fat catting. Sounds like materialism, doesn't it? Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. I've heard believers quote that and say, that's why I don't keep a savings account. So I'm not storing up no treasures on earth. My treasures are in heaven, not of this world. That's why I ain't got a job. Remember, Jesus said, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? All these things the Gentiles are seeking. I am not a Gentile. But he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. So I'm not going to work. I'm just going to pray. And we forget that one thing we miss out of this text here is that little phrase, for yourselves. 
Do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For yourselves, meaning don't be greedy. Stop being so greedy that you have to store up treasures for yourselves. Look at this. Proverbs chapter Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. I'm not storing it up for myself. I'm storing it up for my children and my children's children. It says, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Do you know we are living in a generation in which children are inheriting debt from their parents? We are passing down debts from one generation to the next instead of, instead of having a storehouse. And it's mostly believers who are just trusting God. And now your children have to trust God with the debt you left them. <laughs> you know what I want my kids to have to have faith for? They're going to have to believe God to tell them how to use the inheritance that I leave for them. Lord, who am we going to bless? Lord, what kingdom work are we going to do with what my father left behind? That's what I want my that's the faith that I want my children to have. We're going somewhere today, is that okay? Are you with me? This is going to set you free. Look at the second Corinthians second Corinthians chapter 9. Now, now, here's the thing I, I, I want to lay down and make clear. If you're saving but not giving, you're storing up treasure for yourself. You say, I ain't got no money to tithe. Why? Because I, I pay my bills and then I put money in savings. You're storing up treasure for yourself. The Lord gave my wife and I a strategy for our finances and there was a percentage to give, which is more than the tithe, and a percentage to save, which is also more than a tithe. He wants us to have a storehouse, but not only an earthly storehouse of material possessions, but a storehouse in the Spirit, and storing up treasures in heaven comes only through your giving. How much treasure do you have in heaven? What does your 401k plan look like up there? When God looks into your account, does He hear crickets? If your earthly account is empty, is your heavenly account empty? 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you may abound in every good work. You know what the purpose of finances is? The purpose of financial blessing is to give you the opportunity to abound in every good work. It means when God calls you and says, I want you to do this, you're not held back by money, you're not restrained by debt, but you have the liberty to say, God, I'm ready to do it. A young lady came to me this last week and she said, I, I feel carnal. I said, why? She said, because I have a savings account with tens of thousands of dollars in it and I think I need to give it away. I said, don't you dare give that away. You know what you have? You have a war chest. Because if God speaks to you and says, go to Indonesia, you don't have to send out a support letter. The Lord's already given you the support. You are free to serve the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your life. And that is really the purpose. To have so much of a storehouse that I can say, God, I'm available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I don't have to go work for the man. 
What if you didn't have to work for the man? But some of y'all need to go work for the man. Say, oh, no, I don't want to work for the man. I want to work for Jesus. Well, you go work for Jesus through the man. Now watch this, verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourself. He's talking about the financial gift that they gave. Ah, Verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, God supplies seed to the sower. When God blesses me, it's first and foremost seed. Meaning what I sow is more important than what I consume. Notice he said seed to the sower first and then bread for food. We have an opposite mentality, don't we? Okay, I'm going to eat my bread for food. I'm going to pay the man. And then if there's anything left over, I'll kick God down a few ducats. I'll give God a tip. No. The first thing that I'm to do with what God puts in my hand is sow seed. He provides seed for the sower. I mean, I remember when I was growing up and it would be offering time in church, my mother would reach down the row and put some change in each of our hands. She said, this is for the offering. She wanted all of us to learn that every Sunday we all participated in the offering. She wanted us to, wanted us to get used to that feeling. Now, don't get me wrong. We were in the flesh most of the time. You know, I, I thought I just looked so spiritual putting my money in the plate. I remember what I did one time is I put it in my wallet because somebody had said that they had emptied their wallet into the plate, and I wanted to do that so bad. I was probably 12 years old, and the offering plate came around, and I pulled out my wallet and stood up and, and opened it and went. <laughs> and then looked up at the usher, you know, and he said, God bless you, son, and kept walking, you know, like, oh, Lord, <laughs> you know. I felt I had this warm spiritual feeling like, you know, like I had really done something for the Lord that day because I gave all 85 cents that I had in my wallet. But the point is, my mother wanted us to learn that God provides seed for the sower. Don't you realize that everything you put, everything you give to God is simply a portion what he gave to you? You never really give anything to God. We were kids and you say, Mom. Can I have $10? Why? Because I want to buy you a birthday gift. Sure, son. She'd give $10. Dad, can I have $5? Why? Because you and mom's anniversary is coming up. I want to get you an anniversary gift. Mom, can I have $20? Why? To buy Christmas presents for you and dad. We would ask for money. We didn't have our own money. Eight years old, six years old. But we wanted to buy something. We wanted to give, but we didn't have anything of our own to give to mom and dad. And we knew that everything we gave them was what they actually gave to us to give to them. I remember uh, uh, somebody was telling me that uh, he, he um, took his, he was at a, a basketball game, and he had his son, and, and uh, his son wanted uh, some nachos, so he bought him some nachos. He's sitting there. There was another little kid, his son's friend, and, and uh, the friend was looking at the nachos, and he said, son, do you want something? He said, I'd really love some Skittles. He's like six or seven years old. He said, sure, and he gave him a few dollars. He said, go buy yourself some Skittles. So the kid ran over, and he bought the Skittles and came back, and he said to the kid, he said, hey, can I get a Skittle? He said, no, get your own. He th- and he just smiled and he thought, wow, that's strange. Thus saith the Lord, can I have a Skittle? 
No, we're going to take another offering right now, not an offering. Look at verse 11. Oh, first, verse 10. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. I want to have a store of seed. See, here's the thing. I don't sow it all at once. I sow it strategically. And he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness, verse 11. Uh, uh, now, now we're about to become prosperity preachers. I just put it on the screen, verse 11. I don't even want to read it because I know some people are going to write me emails after the service because the Bible's not supposed to use that word. You will be made rich. I'm, I'm sure Paul was not talking about material wealth, right? It's spiritual. It's all spiritual and relational. And Paul says, now I know some of y'all out there are going to misinterpret me, so let me clarify in every way. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. So that you will never be caught slipping. Have you ever had a sense that you wanted to give, but you had nothing? How often do I feel like, man, I wish I could bless that Bible college student. Man, I wish I could give to that ministry. Man, I wish I could bless this person. I wish I could pay for Chinway's CD. I wish I could bless this person with this. I wish I could bless this. I wish I could bless. I w- How often do I feel like I wish I could? I wish I could, but I'm limited by my limited finances. The greatest thing about financial blessing is that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And what God is really giving me is the power to give. On every occasion. So that you may be generous. On every occasion. And through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So how does it work? How does it work? God wants to bless us. He wants to increase us. Uh, but but how does he do it? Well, you got to go to the ant. Proverbs 6, 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Solomon was not in a good mood. He was irritated with some folks when he wrote that. Go to the ant, you sluggard. How many sluggards do we have in the house? Don't don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Who raised it? The sluggard is the one who feels no personal responsibility for his present condition or his future situation. He may call it trusting in the Lord. The Bible calls it sluggardness. (laughs) Go to the ant, you sluggard. Now, can I say that I hate ants? I hate ants. I, I think they're the result of the fall. I can't imagine there being ants in the garden. They're falling something, some kind of good insect. Because when ants get in your house, it's not a good thing. Those pesky, nasty ants, my daughter calls them spiders. Daddy, a pida, a pida. And I go over and it's an ant. No matter how many times I tell her, baby, that's an ant. Next day, daddy, a pida, a pida. 
The other day, my wife comes in the bedroom. She says, baby, come with me and prepare your heart. Now, whenever my wife says, prepare your heart, I know something's wrong. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, what is it? What is it? She takes me into the bathroom, into the closet, and there's a trail of ants going up the wall in the closet and on top right above where my clothes are. And there's like 100,000 of them, maybe a million. I don't know. And all up in my wife's purses and handbags. She had a whole bunch of handbags, about 500 of them up there. (laughs) And so we take them all down. We start going through them, and we find this old bag that she had. And we open it up, and there's about three or four bags of popcorn in there from when we had gone to the movies like a year and a half ago or something. (laughs) It was kettle corn. (laughs) Yeah, we can thank Alicia and Willie for that. I mean, uh, Willie and Tanacha. <laughs> My bad. Uh, and, uh, and so and we open the bag, and there's like five million ants in there. Because they're all just congregating in that bag, right? They're just surrounding it, right? I said, I'm throwing this bag out. Trick, forget that. It's not worth it. I just took it and threw it out. I said, I'm going to go to the Philippines and give me another knockoff or something. You call it a knockoff. I call it a wise financial decision. <laughs> I'm not paying no $5,000 for a bag just because of the name on it when I can get the same name on it for $40. You say, but it's the quality. Yeah, yeah, but I get 10 of them. (laughs) And still only pay 10% of what I'd pay for one. (laughs) Let it wear out. I got another one. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Ants. You know, when, when I see ants in the house, it's a bad thing. But Solomon said, go to the ant. Next time you see ants in your house, get excited because you're about to learn something. God's going to give you some wisdom by following the ant. You're going to look at the ant. You're going to watch him carefully, and you're going to learn wisdom. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Just watch them. Just watch them. Watch what they do. Listen to what he says. It has no commander. It has no overseer or ruler. Now, now most folks, even on the job, as soon as the boss goes out to lunch, it's playtime. If there's not somebody standing over us, cracking the whip, telling us what to do, the spirit of the sluggard comes on. The spirit of laziness comes on. I, I hear people all the time, well, I just didn't have anybody to guide me. I just didn't have anybody to tell me what to do. Because I didn't have any guidance. That's why I've ruined my life. (laughs) Maybe if I had some guidance. But it says the ant has no guidance. The ant. Little pesky ant. Now you have at least the size of brain that an ant has. But the ant doesn't need anybody cracking the whip. It knows. Watch this. What does it do? Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. The ant knows when summer comes that I've got a short window of opportunity to gather my food for the rest of the year. Because when the winter comes, it's going to be real hard to gather. Now, we're just coming into the fall and approaching the winter. Those ants are working overtime at our house right now. 
Why? Because they know pretty soon it's going to be too cold to go outside and we got to make sure we have enough to make it through the winter. We got to store. It stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Let me ask you, what are you right now in the process of storing? If you are not right now in the process of storing up something, you just don't believe that you're ever going to hit a hardship. And what we tend to do is wait till we have an emergency and then cry out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, help me. I blew out a tire. Are you with me this morning? Proverbs 13, 4 says, The sluggard craves and gets nothing. But the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. You know why the sluggard craves and gets nothing? Because he craves but doesn't do anything about it. He thinks just being hungry is enough. But the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. <laughs> Proverbs 26:15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. I love this one. Proverbs 26:14. For those of you that love to sleep in. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. Oh, how about this one? For those of you who always find a reason not to do anything. Proverbs 22, 13. The sluggard says there's a lion outside or I'll be I'll be murdered in the streets. <laughs> Why aren't you going to work? Oh, no, no, there's a lion outside. <laughs> no, no, I heard. Did you hear that? Roar, oh, that was a lion. Out there. Like, fool, that was a motorcycle. No, no, no. It sounded like a lion to me. There's a murderer running loose in the streets. I better stay home from work. I ain't coming in today, boss. <laughs> I got a friend who was I got a friend who was a manager for UPS and he said he was working one time and one of the guys on his ship was just slacking off lazy and he had been that way for some time. He took him aside and he said, "Listen, man, you can't be doing this. You got to be working hard." And the guy looked at him and said, "You'll take it as I give it." He said, "Oh, okay." Okay, well, go ahead. Go on back to your job. Go on back to your job. I'll take it as you give it. He said, okay. So the guy said, that's what I thought. So the guy went back out to a shift. My brother walked into the office and said, I'd like his last paycheck, please. Waited for him to finish his shift and then said, here you go. And the guy said, what's this? He said, it's your last paycheck. You're fired. And he said, what? How can you fire me? He said, you'll take it as I give it. <laughs> <laughs> Conservation, becoming a storehouse, not just in the natural, but in the spirit. Let me ask you something. What are you doing with what the Lord has given you? Now I'm no longer talking about your money. What are you doing with the words the Lord has given you? Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1, my son, if you would receive my words and store up my commands within you. Are you storing up the things that the Lord has spoken to you? Yeah. See, we have such a consumption mentality that people go to church not to receive and conserve words from the Lord, but to consume them. Yeah. Like a meal that you're going to consume, swallow, chew up, swallow, digest, and excrete. 
and there are people that are excreting the word of the Lord as soon as they walk out of the sanctuary, not conserving anything, not saving up anything. And so when God says, now it's time to use you, you got nothing to give. When you meet somebody who's in trouble, the first thing you say is, let me take you to my pastor. Here's his cell phone number. I had somebody call me on the street one time and said, I met one of your members. I told him I was having trouble, and he gave me your cell phone number and said I should call you. I found that member, and I chewed him out. I said, don't you ever give my cell phone out. But secondly, you've been in this church for six years, and you don't have anything to say to somebody who's in trouble? It's because you haven't been conserving anything. Are you storing up the words of the Lord are you just consuming them? We walk away from a church service and we rank the church service based upon its entertainment quality, its entertainment component. So we say, that was a good word today. What we mean is, I laughed, I cried. <laughs> or that wasn't a very good word. Why wasn't it a very good word? Well, he didn't make me laugh enough and I didn't cry. Or it's profundity. Well, that wasn't very profound. That was simple. We are religious consumers. And we go to the church to fill up on religious and spiritual goods and services. We leave churches, and the most common reason why people leave churches is because I'm not being fed. I, I got to the point where I just wasn't being fed there. And I realize I need to be fed because that's what church is about, is me consuming and being fed. The average American believer has consumed so much. We are fat. And not P-H-A-T, F-A-T. But we're being eaten up by the lean years. Because it's not a fatness of conservationism, it's a fatness of consumption. Jesus prays in John 17. And he says, Father, I've given them the words that you've given me. And they've received them. And they had received them so faithfully that years later they could sit down and write them out word for word. That's why we have the Gospels. Because someone was not only hearing and consuming the words of Jesus, but was conserving them. Conserving them. And at the end of it, Jesus takes them up to the Mount of Olives and says, go make disciples. They said, Lord, we don't know how to make disciples. We don't feel qualified. Jesus said, it's easy. Just give them everything I gave you. Teach them to obey everything that I commanded you. If you just give them what I gave you, it'll be enough. You don't need to figure out your own stuff. You say, oh, well, I need to get my own teaching. No, you don't. You're getting mine. You need to learn to give away what I give you. When you come to this house, you're getting something to give. I'll never forget when I was a seminary student, I took a class from a guy named Seyun Kim. He was a world-renowned Pauline scholar. I was so excited about sitting in his class. I took his Pauline theology class. I sat there at my computer and I typed every single word that he spoke. Word for word. Then I went home and I read through it and I revised it and I fixed mistakes and I'd read through it again and again. Come to the next class and type every word he says. By the end of that class, I had almost memorized every lecture. If you ask me today, right now, 13 years later, I could teach that class from start to finish without notes. That's how well I got that stuff. Why? Because I saw it as of great value and I didn't just want to consume it and go home and say it's good. I wanted to conserve it because I knew I was going to have to give it away again one day. Yeah. Let me tell you why I'm talking this way. 
The Lord has been speaking to me about next year already. You know what the vision is for next year? Not a big bang. We're going to go from 200 to 5,000. Well, maybe. I mean, the Lord can do that, but if he does, it's his business. That's not what the Lord wants us to be concerned about. That's his business. You know what he wants us to be thinking of? How can I lead one person to Christ? The vision is next year we are going to double in size. You know why we're going to double in size? Because every one of you is going to go out and get one. And I'm not talking about catch and release evangelism. You know what I mean by catch and release evangelism? You're at the bus stop. You, 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 you want to get saved? And the person goes, oh, okay. Say this prayer. Father, I come to you. Father, I come to you. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. And then you put another notch on your belt and say, now you need to find a church. See you later. Catch and release. Catch and release. Maybe they're saved. Maybe they just said a prayer. A prayer. What I'm talking about is leading one person to Christ and caring for them all year long. One person. I'm not asking you to go get 10. I'm not asking you to try to bring 100 people to church or bring 20 people. And I'm not asking you to just invite them to church. I'm saying your job is to lead them to Christ. This is what the Lord showed me. This church is never going to primarily be an evangelism center. I, you know, I had to come to Grinch's. I was trying to figure out. I've been praying about that for the last eight years because I'd never have felt a real push in the spirit to preach evangelistic sermons. And I keep praying, God, why is it that you keep leading me to preach to the church? If I don't start preaching to sinners, how are people going to get saved? And I had clarity this week, the Lord showed me. And the Lord said, this house will never be primarily an evangelism center. It will always be primarily a discipleship center. But you are the evangelists. You are the evangelism center. You're going to go out from this place and lead people to Christ during the week and bring these newly saved sons and daughters to God to church with you and say, now come and be built up and established and evangelized. One person every year for the rest of your life. One person. One person. That means you better get ready. We're starting it next year. January 1st, it's on. But you've got two more months to renew your mind, to be established in your thinking, to get set free. You've got two more months to get this stuff that I've been teaching you. Some of you need to go get on the website and download all of the teachings from this year and get caught up. Maybe you were in Hawaii and in Singapore and, and in New York and you missed this. You better go back and get what you missed because you're responsible to give it next year. Next year, you are, and, and don't you dare tell them to call me. If they call me, I'm going to tell them, who told you to call me? And they're going to say, Danny. I'm going to say, call Danny back. You call Danny and you tell him I said, he's responsible for you. He's going to care for you. He's the one who led you to Christ. You're his problem. I mean that in the most loving way. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying is you've got to conserve the things you've received so that when you lead someone to Christ, you can conserve that person and how do you conserve that? How do you, how do you keep them? You walk with them. You encourage them. You call them on the phone and see how they're doing. You pour into their life and you give them everything that I've been giving you. You give it. You give it away. Too many believers are like the Dead Sea. I know I've been talking too long, but that's how I roll. Too many believers are like the Dead Sea rather than the Sea of Galilee. You know what the Sea of Galilee is? The Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee at the top and flows out of the Sea of Galilee at the bottom. And it flows all the way down to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee are fed by the same source. 
The difference is the Sea of Galilee is full of fish and all kind of living things, but the Dead Sea, nothing can live in it. There's not a single living organism in the Dead Sea. You know why? They have the same content, right? They're both fed by the Jordan River. There's no poison in the Dead Sea. The difference is that the Dead Sea is so full of nutrients in such a concentrated form that it became toxic. Vitamin C is good for you, isn't it? But go home and eat a whole bottle of vitamin C. Getting into the Sea of Galilee is like taking a vitamin C pill. Jumping in the Dead Sea and drinking that water is like drinking a whole bottle of vitamin C. It will kill you. A lot of believers are like the Dead Sea. I wonder why I've received all kinds of teaching. I'm, I got ten different podcasts. I listen to KFAX all day. And every, every weekend I watch five preachers on TV and I even give my offerings. I wonder why nothing can live in me. Nothing I re- It seems to die as soon as I receive it. You know why? Because there's no outflow in your life. You're not giving it to anyone. You start giving it away, you become like the Sea of Galilee. All of a sudden, all of the stuff that you receive starts to live in you. Instead of dying in you because there's an outflow, you're giving it away. And now it's a conservationism rather than a consumption. Now you're not only full of life, but you're a giver of life. And that's what God wants. And it starts with the commitment to conserve. Bow your heads.